That's cool. I uh, appreciate you all being a part of that. And um, that's just something we like to do. And, and we get absolutely no reward for that, so it seems. But God says, if you give a cup of cold water to a, a little one in my name, then he sees it and uh, he will pay us back for that. The Bible says that, that anyone who gives up houses or land or family members for the sake of Christ says they will be rewarded a hundred times over in the kingdom to come. So uh, we, we won't know until heaven what, uh, how pleased our, our Heavenly Father was, but it warms my heart to see kids smiling and, and some of those kids don't get anything during the uh, holiday season. Now, one of the things we, we did recently was we uh, did a marriage series and several folks took um, the challenge. Let's see. I've got to see who's here. Uh, what we did was we had a constitution. I promise constitution where you basically, it says, I promise to conform my beliefs to God's truth. I promise to be filled by God. I will keep God in my heart. Just all of these promises. And we challenged couples to sign these, and so we've put it in this, this uh, frame, and we just wanted to honor the folks who, who did that. Some of them aren't here today or, or out on um, uh, Christmas vacation, but if you're here, I'm going to call out your name, even if just one of you is up here. I think, did, did she have to leave because of chicken pox? Yeah, Heather was here, but uh, Emily now has chicken pox, we just discovered this morning. So anyway, first is uh, Keith and Heather Lively. Everybody give them, give them a big whoop. Whoop! No, no, that's, you got to... James and James <laughs> Wesley Kennedy. Y'all didn't know his first name was James, did you? Jennifer's downstairs teaching, so even though the guys are here, that yeah, we can we can still give them uh, props for that. Jeff Gillis, the one who was grateful for electricity, and Teresa, who is much much younger than him. Um, y'all come on up, come on up. Now, Jeff, you got to come with her. If you're up here together, you got to come together. Dude, nothing but love in this congregation. Everybody's so glad you married Teresa because she's the sweet one, right? <clears throat> and then we've got the other livelies. Come on up here, Michael and Teresa. We, uh, we want to do everything we can to um, emphasize, first of all, marriage is not easy. Uh, but it was God's idea, and when we do marriage God's way, He blesses us, and we pass on a legacy to the next generation. And regardless of what kind of uh, mistakes you've made in marriage in your past, we want to be about the future, and we want to train people, and we want to show you that God can take your biggest mistakes in life, and He can turn those into um, things that bring glory and honor to Him. And so uh, that's kind of what we, we are about as a church. Now, what we're doing today is we are finishing up our series on Jesus. He may not be who you think he is. If you'll remember, several weeks ago we talked about Jesus was a risk taker. And what we celebrate in two days is the biggest risk in history. God himself taking on human flesh and becoming a baby. Not just becoming a human, but becoming a baby who had bladder control issues. I mean, to think of God wetting his diaper just blows my mind. To think of God's nose running blows my mind. And he took this risk, and probably the biggest risk he took was then he gave you and me a choice about whether we're going to follow him. Huge risks that, that Jesus took in, in coming to earth and, and eventually dying on the cross, being put to death by the very people he came to save. Because the Bible says he loves all of us. 
And he wants to give his life for all of us. And then he leaves that choice up to us. That's a huge risk. The next week we talked about Jesus, the dance instructor. We had a lot of fun with that because Jesus was funny. People, people of, of bad reputation liked hanging out with him. You know why? Because he spoke the truth, he was funny, and he loved them. It says that people listened to him with interest. And, and I don't know about your, your you know, church background, but I didn't think of church with interest when I was growing up. Mama had this arm right here, and I would fall asleep. And, and I was you know, kind of like Pavlov's dogs when they rang the, the bell and, and they would salivate because they thought food was coming. The pastor would stand up and say, open your Bibles. And, and then when he would say, let's stand for closing prayer, I woke up. It was just amazing. That's what, that's what I remember about church. Hopefully we don't do that until you hear. But we talked about Jesus as a dance instructor and how he wants us to make the most out of this life. And then last week we talked about Jesus as a storm chaser. Uh, and so we've had a lot of fun with that. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus as the heart surgeon. And I want to read a verse to you and, and just camp out here a little bit. And we're going to do something totally different than anything we've done in this series. And uh, I think you'll understand in just a minute. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your what? Say that a little louder. Guard your what? And then he tells you why. This is, this is a book, a collection of wise sayings that if you'll pattern your life after these wise sayings, you'll get more out of life. It says, guard your heart, for it affects what? Everything. Emphasize that. It affects what? Everything you do. Your thoughts impact your actions. Your actions impact your choices and your destiny. And God says that you should... You should protect your heart. Guard it. Because if you don't, it will impact the trajectory of your life. And, and here's the deal. If you think about people's physical hearts, um, now you probably thought about your physical heart when you came in here today because you climbed three flights of stairs. And at some point, you may have gotten a little bit winded. Um, but most of the time, we don't think about the condition of our hearts, our physical hearts, and, uh, and, unless something happens. Everyone walking in here, we could just assume, I mean, just looking around, everybody's breathing, everybody's relatively happy today. We could assume your heart's in good shape. But do we know? The only way to tell, the only way really to tell, even if you go to a doctor and he, he puts the stethoscope on and listens to your heart, he doesn't know for sure whether that heart's good. The only way to tell is to hook you up with all kinds of wires and put you under what? Stress. It's called a stress test. And the condition of your heart will come out under stress. Well, think about the parallel to our spiritual hearts. God gave us a physical heart, but He also gave us the spiritual hunger to know other people, to know Him, to love Him. And, to, and we've got this emptiness in our heart that only God can fill. And, and you can't tell. When someone walks in a church door or someone walks in your office or somebody walks in your house, you cannot tell about their physical heart, but you also can't tell about their spiritual heart until they're in, under stress. And what comes out under stress reveals the condition of your heart. Now, I, I don't want to admit to you that my spiritual heart is diseased, but if you ever drive anywhere with me in traffic... You'll understand real quickly that hey, he's got a messed up heart because under stress, it reveals the condition of your heart and I realize how far I've got to go. But what if you don't have enough money 
It reveals the condition of your heart. What if, um, what if your expectations aren't met in your marriage or in some relationship or at work? It reveals the condition of your heart. And so what we want to look at today is the reason this baby came 2,000 years ago. By the way, he never told us to remember his birthday. His followers, he said, remember the cross. Remember my death and my resurrection. So, you know, we've, we've kind of commercialized the whole Christmas thing. But let's just remember today that the whole reason that baby came and laid in a manger was to do surgery on your heart. And we're going to talk more about that. Now, um, I've asked Nathan to come up here today. Come on, bud. And uh, this, is, this is not an easy deal for you, for him. Just got to, come on, come on. I'm going to tell you to come up here and I'm going to come get you in a minute. Um, come sit down. Now, here's, here's the situation. Uh, yeah, let's pop those on. Put both of them on. Okay. Now, let me just offer a disclaimer. Some of you know what's going on, some of you don't. Six months ago, um, our church went through something that I thought, when I first heard it, I thought our church would not survive. I thought there's no way we can survive anything like this. Um, I was up all night uh, crying out to God saying, what do we do, what do we do? And uh, I talked to several pastors, I talked to different folks, and, and folks were saying, man, you've got to do what the Bible says. And so, if you remember back in this whole deal, we, uh, we had some band members that we, we had to ask them not to be in the band anymore, uh, because there were, there were situations um, that affected the church, that affected the body of Christ. Now, we are, we're not in the, the habit of um, judging anybody, so, so we're not going to try to get anybody, we're not going to try to find out your sin and then, you know, six months later, put you up here. That's not what we're trying to do. Uh, but I think you'll understand as we go through this process, the fact that, that Nate was part of our worship team and, and what he did affected the whole church. Um, we've been praying and talking and I've watched God change his heart. I've watched God do heart surgery in this young man. And, and him being up here today takes tremendous courage. Uh, and, and I am proud of him. I'm thankful to have him as a friend. I was mad at him. Wanted to hit him with a two-by-four when I found out this stuff. But, but love and grace sustains relationships through tough times. And really, you find out, you find out who, who loves you and, and who doesn't when you go through junk in your life. So um, what I've asked him to do is this is part of his restoration process. Um, we're not asking everybody to get up here, but if you're in a public ministry of our church, and, and you do something that, that affects the church, and your heart condition reveals that there's a callous um, condition towards God and a callous condition towards our church, then, then the Bible says you go to people and you talk to them. We did that, and that's going to come out in the interview. Um, and then the Bible says how they respond then determines how you respond. And I've watched him um, be humbled by this. I've watched him suffer guilt over this. And one of the things we said is if you're going to serve in our church, especially if you're ever going to serve up here publicly, then, then this is part of the restoration process because the actions affect the entire church. And see, that's kind of how we handle things. Um, if, if my sin is between me and you, 
I'm going to come to you and we're going to work things out. And that, you, you don't bring that to the church. But if my sin affects the whole church, then you see what I'm saying? So I don't stand up here and ask um, my wife to, uh, to forgive me if I've sinned against her. But if my sin affects the whole church, then I have to do that. And so let's just, just with that introduction and, and knowing that we're not trying to find anybody else to sit in this seat. <laughs> now that's our disclaimer. We're not trying to single anybody out, but this is part of his restoration process. I want to interview Nate today, and I want you to see the progression of his heart to the point that it caused him to make some really hurtful choices, and I want you to see the condition of his heart today. Nate, let's, uh, with all of that, let's, um, let's just get started. Tell me about, I know this, but they don't know this, tell me about your family as you were growing up. What was your church involvement? What was your family like? Kind of give us just a little bit of history there. No one word answers, right? Yeah, he kept giving me one word answers the other day, and I said, I will ask you until you say more than one word. So, no one word answers. Well, every time the doors were open, we were there. Parents were real involved. Uh, well, I guess, you know, very involved. I mean, I grew up with about 100 older brothers and sisters, and uh, just because I was the... Little fat kid hanging around with the older kids playing ping pong. When you say involved, they they were teachers. Yeah, in Sunday, Sunday school. Sunday school teachers, and I guess he was a deacon. You know, he was a deacon. He was involved with our youth ministry on Wednesday nights. Yeah. Um, many times I would hear the kids say after a, a youth gathering, "Let's go to the Gillises." Right. Right. So on any any Friday or Saturday night, sometimes Wednesday nights, how many kids would be at your house? Well, one. Well, yeah, there might be anywhere from. 20 to, you never know, 60, 70. There's no telling. All packed in your house. all shows up, yeah, on the back porch, in the house, wherever. Which, as I got older, I realized how weird that was because, you know, it's like they were at my house on a Friday night. Like, I would have been, I wanted to go do something else. But But what would they come for? What What were folks doing? Well, at any time of night, any time during the week, anybody could show up if they had a problem. I mean, the phone rang a million times, waking me up at 3 a.m., somebody calling Dad having a problem, stuff like that. But, I mean, yeah, seeking advice, talking to them about stuff. I mean, it was, that was really, they spent, I don't know how many times I'd be in the back of the house because they were giving somebody advice, talking to them, you know, all that stuff. They were always there to help everybody out. So it wasn't just a hangout. It, there, were, there were some spiritual nah, yeah. reasons that kids yeah. were coming I mean, to Yeah, I mean, well, I think that's why, like, why they came so much, you know, just because that was, that's a good place to be when you feel like you're, you know, with people that care about you, you know. And I think most of them could tell that, you know, my parents loved them, you know. Right. So. Now, growing up, um, tell me about your relationship with your mom. You, you told me the other day, were you pretty tight with her? Yeah, I mean, I was, a, I was a mama's boy pretty much my whole life. I mean, I wasn't even, me and dad did baseball and we'd have, you know, we didn't, we did a lot of stuff together. He was, you know, he's always been a great dad and spent time with me and all that. But, you know, I just, I was with mom 24-7 being homeschooled. And, uh, I mean, you know, she always talked to me about stuff. And, you know, she, we and her were always, yeah, we were always really tight. I was definitely a mama's boy more than I was a... And as you came into your teenage years, what type of relationships did you have with girls your age? Uh, well... Tell them what you told me the other day. What, the, being a 230-pound kid? Oh, well, I mean, yeah. Not, I guess I guess I didn't really know how to act around girls, Doug. 
He said, being the 230-pound fat kid, 13 years old, you don't have a lot of girls. Yeah, hanging around. Hanging around. No. Hanging around. Yeah. And so the the number one girl in your life was who? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess mom. Yeah, Men, yeah, mom. Yeah. Okay, so um, we come into this time, and um, your parents start having some problems in their marriage, and that eventually ends in divorce. Right. A couple of things that I just wanted to bring out here. Number one, um, there was a point when when a friend moved in with you, and tell you know we don't have to mention any names or anything like that, but tell how you how that changed your relationship with your mom. Well, I mean, from from where I was at then, you know, from where I'm at now, it's a lot easier to understand what was going on. But at the time, you know, after you know a year or two. You know, I felt like that I was just kind of like, uh, I wasn't, the, you know, that she had a new son that she liked better and, you know, kind of the son she always wanted. And uh, just because me and her relationship was just like withering and she didn't, you know, she really, I mean, I, she didn't show me any, she quit acting like the mom I'd always known. I mean, I don't really know. And I don't want to cast stones at all. your mom, but, but from, a, from an insecure right. um, adolescent, teenage boy, you felt like you'd been replaced. Right, yeah, I mean, she, you know, she was always kind of really my, you know, that's that's who I went to, you know, about a lot of stuff, and I mean, you know, I loved her with all my heart, you know, and uh, I mean, I, when I was younger, I didn't even like her going to Walmart by herself, you know, I mean, I was real protective of her, you know, I just, I loved her, you know, and I still do, but uh, I mean, yeah, it, when she quit caring about me and what was going on in my life and being involved in my life. And it wasn't just that, but I could see that she, you know, it was kind of like she felt like I wasn't worth the effort. I wasn't worth investing in anymore. Now, yeah. this is all your perspective. Right. Right. So I, I'm not trying to, to make right. her look bad, but this is your perspective. Right. And so then when your parents go actually go through the divorce, how yeah. did you feel during that time? Well, I mean, there was a... By the time they got divorced, by the time she moved out, I was ready for I was ready for her to be gone, because uh, you know my I was dealing with it while she was still there, you know, because that and that was even I don't know more weird or or harder is the word for it, just that I felt like I wasn't, you know, I was sitting there living, still seeing the same woman I'd seen every day all my life, but she wasn't the same. I mean, and there was distance between you. Right, right. And you told me that that. What condition was your heart in at this point in your life? Well, I mean, one thing that people have told me since all that happened and everybody's concerned about is the anger, you know, and, and resentment and holding... They're worried about holding, you Yeah, angry. holding unforgiveness towards them. And, like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm sure I... That doesn't stick out to me. I'm sure that I, I did probably have a lot of anger there. I don't know. But what sticks out to me is not the anger it's that it broke my heart when you said that to me the other day it just a light came on in my mind that um, you were broken-hearted so your heart was shattered in pieces and how did you deal with that emotionally over the next couple of years of your life well my solution which I think is pretty probably a pretty common thing I mean is I just kind of went numb and you know when I'm, you, hear, you hear people say it all the time, when somebody hurts you like that, you just kind of shut yourself off, you know? I mean, if, if, you don't ever, if you don't ever let anybody get that close to you again, then they can't hurt you that much, 
And something a lot of people don't know about you. I, I've known you for over 12 years now, but um, sometimes you you come across as this big tough guy, but inside you're really tender-hearted. And so um, you told me that that you're very emotional, and when you can't deal with that, um, then what comes out on the outside when you when you're trying to guard your heart, it comes off kind of kind of. Tough, or, or it comes as, as this. Like a jerk. Like a punk, yeah. He was upset that I called him a punk the other day. Um, I said, but you were being a punk. So, yeah, okay. We got that out in the open. Right. Nobody um, knew that, huh? Nobody knew that, right. Um, so, we, we get into this, this period where you're brokenhearted, and all of a sudden, you, you began working out. I remember when you started working out and you shed some pounds, and. and um, Part of that was was uh, a way to deal with this, but but then all of a sudden um, you started getting girls noticing you because you're kind of studly. And, uh, yeah, I feel it right now. You feel studly yeah. right now. Um, but how did you? What were your relationships like? Well, a lot like yours when you were my age. Yeah, you just wanted to get that in there, didn't you? Yeah, sure did. Because I'm walking. Well, I've, I've been sitting out. I've been sitting out. You know. Yeah, you said to me the other day you didn't want to give your heart to anyone because um, you'd already experienced that. You weren't going to experience that again. You weren't going to let somebody else break your heart. Right. And so um, the joke we have is because when I was growing up, I was there is a lot of similarity. Um, if a girl said love, I was like, see you later. Um, I mean, and, and it yeah, was no. like that. It was very, it was clinical. You know, if somebody wanted to be committed relationship, see ya, I got to run. And, and Nathan, that's what he's saying he could identify with. So, um, would you say that's, that's a healthy perspective towards the opposite sex? Definitely not. Because Definitely not. when you look back on it, you see how many people you hurt, too. You know, I mean, whether it's just, it's a completely selfish, you know, attitude, really. I mean, you're, you're playing with other people's emotions and, I mean, you know, leading, leading some girls on and... You know, that's just that's really a jerk thing to do. When and you see that now. At the time, though, right. you didn't see it. Well, right, because at the time, I'm just like I'm beating him to the punch. You know, you gonna break up? Like with not like that, yeah. but I mean, just like in my mind, seriously, it was like, you know, it's, it's only gonna go so far before they're gone. You know, right. So, so through this, I've seen it. I know your your dad has seen it, but through this process, it's it's like even though your heart was broken, it's like your heart got harder and harder yeah. um, towards God, towards um, relationships. And uh, so you, you moved into this period of your life where, where you made some really poor choices. And, and just, you know, I, I talked to him about this. He understands that, that part of this process is we got to call sin, sin. So there was, there was sexual sin, and then even beyond that, there was adultery. All of these things at the time because of the condition of your heart. I'm not trying to make excuses at all. I'm just showing you this is what sin does to you. Sin makes your heart hard. It makes you self-centered and, and emotionally detached so that you can commit some of the most heinous things because 10 years ago, never would you have dreamed any of this would have happened to you, right? I mean, I remember and you know, he was talking to people about God and inviting them to their house and, and any time... People would have questions. Gee, talk to my dad. You know, just stuff like that. Come on over to the house. So you never would have seen this trajectory, but you got off the beaten path, started with a broken heart. 
Yeah. Now, when all of this came to light and um, in the series of about three days, I went with, with a witness to everybody that was involved and talked to everybody face to face. When I came to you, you were at work, um, had Alex with me, and uh, your, your first question was, what did I do wrong? And, uh, yeah, but how many times have I asked you that? All the time, all the time. So uh, when we went outside, we talked. I asked you if this was true. You ducked your head. You said yes. Now, why did you tell me the truth? Well, I mean, like, I'm, I just figure if, you, if you're not going to have anything else, you know, you can have your, your honesty if somebody's going to ask you, you know, if you're going to do something, fess up that you did it, you know. Okay. So you came clean. I, I admired you for that because you could have denied it, but you, you said, yes, I did it, and, and you explained, you know, everything that had gone on. And then how did you feel that next couple of weeks after all this came out? Because we, we told you what was going to happen at, at church that day. We invited you to come that day and speak that day. But right. looking back, you weren't ready. Right. Um, uh, I've seen what God's done in your heart over the past six months. But during that two-week, you said it was a pretty rough two-week period. What were you feeling during that time? Well, uh, it pretty much sums it up. Wes showed up one day. I mean, I was working with Jonathan doing flow back, and we were off. So we didn't, you know, I didn't have anything to do either, and that made it even worse. But uh, I mean, I I was depressed. I mean, I, like I went through. I mean, the the guilt like was eating me up because I felt like I woke up one day, and I felt like I'd been dreaming for a while because you know I felt like I was going through my life. I mean, first off, with no direction and no, you know, no aim at all, and. But I, nothing I did, I mean, my conscience was as numb as my heart was. I mean, I, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't phase me to do anything. I mean, you know, I, there's a lot of things that common sense, you know, and stuff. I mean, I didn't get into drugs. And I didn't mess with that kind of stuff. But, you know, when, when you need to get drunk all the time, you know, when you need to be doing something, you've got to be out doing something, you've got to be doing this. You know, you're always just looking for something to, to make you happy. And, and that's the thing that, that has hit me now is, uh, you, you know, it's, you hear it all the time, but if you, you know, you really think about it, you do it anyway. Everybody wants to make more money. Everybody wants to do this. They want more time, you know, all this stuff. The world we live in is insane. I mean, you know, if you're going to be happy at all, all you, you have to have a peace about things. I mean, and that's, that's the deal. It's all how you, to me, it's all how you deal with stuff. And so, none of those things gave you peace. You didn't no, have any peace during heck that no. time. I mean, because right. you're always looking for something else. Right. Now, during this process, um, you didn't come to church for a while. What did you assume people would, how did you assume they would respond when you came back to church? Well, I guess, I, guess, I think I gave them more credit than you thought. I didn't expect to just be, you know, I don't know. I figured maybe a few people might look at me pretty sideways, but... Uh, I mean, I I assumed that for the majority things would be okay uh, with with several people that they'd at least be you know not I don't know hating me, but right. uh, I still felt like it just it wasn't a good idea. And what was the first thing? You, one of the things you said when we came to you about the church? How did tell them what you said about our church? Well. 
to the, me. To, one, yeah, to me, I well, I mean, one of the, the one of the main things that like out of everything that was going through my head, you know, especially for that first two weeks, was just that, you know, I I love you know that I love the church, you know, I love this church. I mean, you know, and that, you know, I. I couldn't. I really couldn't screw any, that anything up bigger, you know. And I wasn't. Well, I told you that I love the church, but you can't tell it by the way you act. Actions, yeah. Um, now, in this two-week period, one of our church members saw you at the Y and um, came up and hugged you. And what did she say to you? He was waiting on this. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I guess that was because that was just a few days after all that happened, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I I went up to the Y to work out and didn't really have much else to do, and I ran to Doug and Jamie up there. Wait, we're not supposed to say names. They weren't supposed to say names, but go okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, and should I should I make another okay. name up you or can, something? No, here? you can go ahead. I ran into John. It, no. And she said, "Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Don't add lip, man." But uh, and I was talk- I talked to Doug, and I was standing over there talking to Doug for a while, and I look over at, <laughs> at Janie, and uh, she was over on a, some machine or something, and she she I don't remember she hardly said anything to me, but I walked over there and she gave me a hug, and she said, uh, "There's nothing you can do that'll make me love you any less." How did you respond to that? Well, Doug, <laughs> I was in the middle of the YMCA and I f- teared up. And uh, that's kind of tough on your image, isn't it? Yeah. In the of the yeah, YMCA. Doug. Anyway, I want everybody to know that. Right. <laughs> and uh, I mean, at that point, you know, that's you talk about the way I felt, you know, and I definitely didn't feel like I deserved that from anybody. You know, especially at that at that point. But you still tear up when you, you teared up the other day when I asked you about it. I got eyes, Doug. I can see that. I know, but you're you're avoiding eye contact with everybody. Yes, but I me, am. So they can't really see it. Uh, but yeah, when I don't, man, I I don't think anybody could have said anything better to me than that. And you said at one point that it, that if you didn't come to our church, you weren't going anywhere. Well, that's when. You know, after everything, I, I, whether it's because I grew up in church or whether it's just because I was kind of starting to straighten things out in my head, you know, I knew I needed to be in church somewhere. But when when I went, you know, I, I talked to a friend about things and we were talking about, you know, if we were going to go, if we want to go try out some other churches and, you know, just to, I guess... To me, I always that's always seemed like to me I was kind of running from my problems. But on top of that, I can man, it's it'd be hard to go to another church after being here. I mean, it's like I told you that, you know, I love this church, and right. you know that's it's just not you're not gonna find people and you're not gonna find a place like this anywhere close around here. So when I when I thought about that and the fact that you know there's I don't want to run. I don't want to run from problems anyway. If I feel like that's where I need to be, you know, you kind of got to face, fess up, face up. Cool. Now, um, done good. Am I done? Almost. <laughs> um, 
Now, you know you sinned, right? Yes, Doug. We've, we've called it sin. Um, we as a church now have, have a response that we have to make a choice. Um, do we restore him, meaning he is, he is able to serve, and, and we're not going to look at him sideways, and we're not going to uh, judge him, or we turn our backs on him. That's the choice we have. What do you want to do? We're going to vote. No, we're not voting. <laughs> Sharon's going to be the first. Thanks. Now, there you go. Go ahead. Oh. All right. You can you can sit down. Good. But I think a bunch of people are going. Y'all go ahead. Y'all go ahead. Anybody wants to can can give him a hug. Now, here's, here's what um, I want to share with you. Um, a lot of people have a misguided perception of who Jesus is. You want to know why? It's because we do not do life according to the instruction manual. If, if you have a vehicle or you know, some type of motorized vehicle and you do not take care of it the way the instructions tell you to, what happens to the engine of that vehicle? It breaks down. Same thing happens to a church. If you do not do things, if we do not do things the way God instructs, we will break down. We've seen it um, and we've experienced it and we don't want to do that. So we're going to, anytime... Anytime I'm up in the middle of the night thinking our church isn't going to survive, I'm not going to call you. I'm going to, I'm going to open up the Word and I'm going to pray and then I'm going to talk to every person I respect, you know, who's been in ministry longer than me and I'm going to say, what do we do? And my brother's one of them. He goes, what does the Bible say? And I started laying out what the Bible said. He goes, so do it. And he said something to help me. He said, in God's eyes, what happened is about this big. Because God is so big. I'm not, I'm not minimizing the sin. I'm just saying in God's eyes, in, in the course of history, He goes, your church is going to survive. Here we are six months later. We've bought a building. We're remodeling a building. We're going to move in in a couple of months. Um, and, and God has blessed us. But the only reason God blesses us is when we do what He tells us to do. Now, to bring a little bit of levity to the service before we finish, I um, want to show you one last video, and this is not how God is. A lot of people think that God's sitting up there trying to count your sins. Watch this video, and then we'll finish up. Do you think he can fly? Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's see, and you... I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. 
Fella, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. All right, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Look at all these sinners. All right, listen up. Listen to me. I'm Jesus. Listen to what I have to say. I have done many wonderful things. I have healed many people of diseases. I have performed many miracles so that I can tell you this. You're all evil. There is no hope. That's it. Thank you. You're all evil. There's no hope. That's it. Thank you. That's, that's the, the impression that a lot of people get, um, is that God just wants to keep a list of your sins, but he came to show grace. Uh, y'all come on up. Um, we're we're going to let Nathan fill in today, um, because our, our drummer is gone. Before they do, I just want to share a couple of, of verses with you. I need to give Wes this one. First is uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God loved you enough to sacrifice His Son so that you terrible sinner could be forgiven. You could have heart surgery and and God could make something of your life. You could um, do something that lasts for all eternity. And... uh, I just hope the reason we that I wanted to do this 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 Sunday right before Christmas was so that maybe you would be reminded that um, it's not about presents. Uh, it's about the fact that this baby came to make a difference in your life to do heart surgery. And and one of my favorite verses is from Ezekiel chapter thirty six, verses twenty six to twenty seven. God is speaking. He says, this was in the Old Testament. God says, I will give you a new heart with new and right desires. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony heart, your hard heart of sin, and give you a new obedient heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. God predicted in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, that His whole purpose in you being born was that someday he would be able to remove, if you, if you know the different translations of this, it's well, remove a heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And he says, then I'll put my spirit in you, because you can't do it on your own. In your power, your heart is diseased with sin, but with his spirit in you, he, he begins to flow through you. And your heart attitude, the number one indicator of, how, of the condition of your heart is how you respond to other people. 
And through this whole process of, of folks being restored, I've been so grateful to be in a church like this, who we don't condone sin, but we sure do love sinners. And there's a big difference. If, if I'm in sin, someone needs to confront me and love me back to where I need to be. And that's what we're going to try to do with everybody who walks through the doors. Behavior modification, that's God's job. My job is to love you. And what I've seen over and over is grace puts together broken hearts. Grace melts the hardest heart. So that when you're ready to say, man, I've messed up and I need to be forgiven, I need to be accepted, come on, this, this is the place for you. So we're going to finish with some songs and we're going to go over a little bit today and just get over it. We started late. Um, but we're going to sing some songs. And this first song is called, Your Grace is Enough. And if you've ever received grace, you understand. Nathan told me the other day, he said, you know, I, I don't want to do all this again, but I sure understand grace. Some of you dispensed grace to him, and it helped heal his broken heart. He doesn't, he doesn't minimize what he's done. He fully understands. But man, I want to be in a place where people just pour grace over me. Don't you? That's what new life has to become. So let's sing a little bit and then we'll be dismissed.